Hello, Valley Christian Church. It is so awesome to be here with you all today. My name is Stephen Francis, and I want to thank you for being a part of this worship experience. And we are in a service right now. We are in a series right now called Faith Over Fear. Faith Over Fear. Church, I got to be honest with you. I'm super excited that we are doing a series like this. Not just because I know that many of us need to be sure that we have more faith in God than fear in the things that are happening around us. But as I was writing this message, it reminded me of the crazy things that we do when we're afraid. True story. Last year, I had one of the most scariest and also one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. See, Last year, I was invited to be a speaker at a camp that was in Red Hook, a Christian camp. And I had to go by myself because my wife had just had our son, Maddox. Now, we live in Poughkeepsie, so it was about a 20-minute or so drive up north. And the first night, I, I drove up there, and the first night was a night of worship. And Valley, it was the most incredible time of worship I ever experienced. It was that type of worship where you felt heaven had come down to earth. The presence of God was there, and that anything was possible. By the time that worship night ended and it was time for me to drive back home, I, I decided that even though the worship night was over, I wasn't done worshiping yet. So I decided to get in the car and I turned on my favorite worship song and I am singing that thing at the top of my lungs. I, now, I can't sing at all. But is there anybody in here, is there anybody watching online that has it where when you know you're in the car by yourself and your favorite song is on, you'll sing it like you wrote the thing? Am I the only one in here that's done that? Well, I'm in the car and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, giving God my best praise, pouring it all out. And as I am worshiping in the car, singing at the top of my lungs, suddenly a spider the size of my hand slowly draws down from the roof of the car and lands directly in front of my face. The spider was so big that honestly, it should have had a seatbelt on. It wasn't safe for the spider to be just out there like that. And normally I'm not scared of spiders, but the spider scared me so bad, I went from singing at the top of my lungs to screaming at the top of my lungs, swerving all over the road. True story, I pulled into a McDonald's and I jump out the car, just flailing all over the place, trying to get the spider off me. And I'm so mad about this one part because I pulled into a McDonald's, but for some reason, this had to be the busiest McDonald's in the state of New York. So I'm flailing around trying to get this spider off me and I literally I turn around and I see an entire restaurant full of people watching me do this looking like this man has lost his mind and needs immediate medical attention. And I don't know if you've ever done this before. Do you ever embarrass yourself in public so you decide that you're going to act all super dignified like nothing ever happened? That's exactly what I did. I composed myself I got back in the car like nothing ever happened, and then I bought a large fry and a McFlurry to help me with my feelings. But here was the worst part of this entire experience. It was not the fact that a large spider came down in front of my face that I was driving. It was the fact that I have no idea where the spider went after I got out the car. I don't know if the spider was out of the car. I don't know if the spider was under the seat waiting to strike again. Church, that spider was so big, I thought his aim was to kill me and then drive off with my car. 
Why am I telling you this ridiculous story? First off, to always look above your head when you enter a vehicle. But also, because again, we will do crazy things when we're afraid. When we're dealing with fear, our perception of things can be so off that it may even actually be dangerous. Fear can make small things not to worry about, big issues to be scared of. Fear can make you believe that you are something that you are not. Fear can turn your friends into enemies. Fear will hurt you and convince you that it's helping you. Fear can even make you believe that God doesn't care and possibly not even exist. Many of us are living in the damages of fear. And the fear that I want to talk about that I believe is so destructive in our lives today is the fear of losing control. You know, another confession that I need to make today is that I am someone that loves control. It's a problem. I got to pray about it. And I know I'm not the only one that's here in this room or watching right now online. Truth be told, the reason why many of us crave to have control is because we've been hurt before in our past. We've been taken advantage of. We've been, in, we've been dealing with different types of insecurities. And we have a doubt of our present, uh, we have a doubt of our upcoming future based upon what we're dealing with presently. So whatever we can do to be sure that we have some level of confidence in regards to our future peace and our future prosperity and other matters, we'll do it. Psychology Today actually talks about the danger of the fear of losing control in it. I'm going to go ahead and read it here, but you can follow along with the screen. One of the most prevalent fears people have is that of losing control. This is the fear that if you don't manage to control the outcomes of future events, something terrible will happen. People who are chronic sufferers from such losing control, anxiety, keep themselves continuously in a heightened state of stress with only brief, unsatisfying intermissions between fears. Here's the problem, though, when it comes to the fear of losing control and wanting to have control. We don't have control. If 2020 has taught us anything, it is that we do not have any certainty in this life. And you can try to threaten and guilt people into doing what you want. You can try to lie, steal, and manipulate situations to get what you want. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you are in control of nothing. And that sense of not being able to have control, especially in regards to all of the negative circumstances and situations that many of us are dealing with this year, it can leave us losing sleep over pressing issues, always imagining the worst-case scenarios, developing scarcity mentality, making it hard to be generous and trusting. And it will drain us of life with its constant sense of stress and dread. When I think about how to describe the feeling of having zero control, the word that comes to mind is powerless. After all, having control is just another word for having power. 
And what do you do when you have no power over making sure that you have a positive future for yourself? What do you do when you have no power to help the people that you care for and have certainty in a better tomorrow? As I read the scriptures, another group of people that I feel were dealing with powerlessness were the people of Israel. And for anybody that's here right now or watching that doesn't know the story of the people of Israel, specifically in the book of Exodus, I want to give you a quick summary. See, a long time ago in the Middle East, there was a man named Jacob whose name eventually became Israel. Israel was a very wealthy man. He was a man that had an intimate relationship with God. And also, he had a bunch of kids. And during the time of Israel being alive, there was a massive famine in the Middle East. And one of Israel's children gets the entire family to move to Egypt where they will be safe and have food. Well, many years after Israel passed, the children of Israel become so large that they become their own nation within the nation of Israel. And because of that, this was an issue for the Pharaoh of Egypt and he decides to enslave these people. In fact, multiple times within the scriptures, he even has several of them executed. And in this moment of slavery and execution, the people of Israel were powerless. There was nothing that they could physically do to change their situation. There was no way that they could peacefully protest. They couldn't persuasively convince the Pharaoh to change his mind and bring reform. They were stuck. And in the midst of the powerlessness that they were experiencing, they decided to do the only thing they could do, and that was pray. And I want to let you guys know today that that is the best thing that we can do as well. When you feel powerless, there is always power in prayer. When you feel physically powerless to change your situation, there's always spiritual power in your prayer. Scripture says that prayer changes things. So we should pray until something happens. And oftentimes that means first and foremost that it's going to bring change into our lives and in our perspective. But also prayer always has the potential to bring change into a situation. Unfortunately, many times we use prayer as a last resort. But prayer, especially for the people of Israel, was their one best option because not only did they pray, but God acted on their prayer. See, later on in the story of the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 3, we see that there was a man named Moses that encounters God upon a mountain. And God tells Moses something powerful here in verse chapter 3 of, in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says this, Then the Lord said, and he's talking to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of Egyptians. The people of Israel were powerless, but there was power 
in their prayer. They cried out to God and he heard their situation. He cared about their situation and he came down to fix their situation. I just want to highlight just this right here because God is not a sideline savior. He saw that there were people in affliction. Instead of him sitting up in heaven, looking down, wishing them the best, God came down to deliver the people that were in a difficult situation. And what I love about this is that this is not a one-time thing for God. In fact, we know that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who is God, to come down and to save us and to deliver us. And he stayed and he walked amongst people that were dealing with difficult situations and circumstances. And also in the midst of that, he became the propitiation. He became the person that stood in the gap so that we can have a relationship with our heavenly father again because there was a division due to sin. But what I also love is that not only did he have the ability to come down, but he was so powerful to deliver us that he did not stay dead and he rose again on the third day. That's the God that we serve, Jesus Christ. And what we see here in Exodus and then what we see there in, in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus, we also know is continuing to happen. And there may be some people in here right now They'll feel like, man, I, I see what you're saying in this story, and I believe that these things happen, but I just don't know if God still works that way anymore. If that is the case, then I want to encourage you with this next verse. Because after God tells Moses that he's come down to deliver the people out of Israel and that he was going to use Moses to do it, Moses asked God several questions, but one of the questions that he asked is this. When I go back to Egypt, who do I tell the people of Israel has sent me to save them? Because fun fact, in that time period, God was just a title name. God was synonymous with like the word mother or the word boss. So you couldn't just say God has come to save us. They needed to know who's God are you talking about? So we see this in Exodus Three, starting at verse 14, he says, God said to Moses in response to the question, I am who I am, he said. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Yo, that makes no sense, bro. I am that I am. Uh, look, what does that even mean? I am what? What are you talking about? And for some reason, I, I've been in church too long. I, I've been a Christian a long time. Uh, for some reason, every time I read this verse, I imagine God is saying it like an angry Samuel L. Jackson for some reason. I am who I am. And I said what I said. Now, that was not a good Samuel L. Jackson impression. But still, that's how I imagine him saying it. And I'm very confident that that is not how God said it. But this is what is so powerful. This is what is so amazing. Because when you look at the original language and you see what God is saying in this moment, he is saying when he says, I am who I am, are also the, what can be translated, I will be who I will be. He is saying that he does not change. He is saying that he has the power to keep his promises. I want to encourage every single person here, every single person watching online right now. God is consistent with no contingencies. I'll say it again. God is consistent with no contingencies. What do I mean when I say that? 
Quick example. There are times I tell my wife that I will be home at 5 p.m., but sometimes I don't make it home at 5 p.m. Maybe because there was traffic on the way to work. Maybe, excuse me, on the way home. Maybe because there was uh, perhaps a meeting that went too long. Maybe I had to use the bathroom. There are so many different reasons why I would not be able to come home at 5 p.m. But can I tell you, God does not have that problem. God does what he says every single time. He is immutable, which means he does not mutate, which means he cannot change, which means whoever he was yesterday, he is today and he will be tomorrow. So here's the thing that makes this so powerful. If God tells you something in his word, believe him. Whatever he says is true, according to scripture, believe him. In fact, I want to give you some verses that's going to encourage you today, because if you're dealing with any level of anxiety or fear, loss of control, I want to give these verses to you. First Peter five, verse seven, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. This is God talking and I will rescue you and you will honor me. Matthew 6, 33, this is Jesus talking. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why am I telling you these verses? Because if it was good then, it's good now. If God was good, then he is good right now. If the people of God could trust in him in those times, we can trust in God for such a time as this. You know, I often have to ask myself, why don't we believe this? Why don't why don't we really give God our full trust and continue to try to do things on our own? Obviously, there's the factor of, okay, God is not physically present, so it's hard to trust what we cannot see. But I think there's actually another issue, if we're really honest with ourselves. Can I ask you a question, full honesty, here online? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you asked somebody to do something for you and they were doing it, but they weren't doing it the way that you liked it? So because of that, it was frustrating to you. Like you knew that there was a better way of doing things and they were doing it. That was so difficult. I, I, I know I've had I, I've had that moment. In fact, have you ever had a moment where you asked someone to do something for you and they were doing it their own way? And while they were doing it, you just got so frustrated or they were taking so long doing it that I just said, you know, what? I'll just do it myself. I'll just take care of it myself. I got it. no worries. I'll figure it out. Can I ask another question in here? Has God ever taken so long? Has God not done things the way that you would like to the point where you just said, you know what, God, I'll do it myself. I'll take care of it myself. Often, I think there's so many times where people call out to God, God, why are you taking so long? 
I need an answer to my prayer today. God, you say you're so good, but why is everything happening around us so bad? God, why are you not even answering me in this time of prayer? Are you even listening to me as I cry out to you? And the frustration that we feel in those moments can cause for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to figure it out on my own. I tried faith and it didn't work. And I don't understand why God always does this. And I know that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But if I think there's one reason amongst many why God does this, it's to let you know that God can't be controlled. Can I really get in somebody's business right now? Your whole relationship with God right now could be based on you trying to get God to do something in your life. Your whole relationship with God could just be an extension of you trying to have control. Therefore, if you are good enough, if you come to church enough, if you tithe enough, if you pray enough, God will therefore have to owe you something. God is consistent with no contingencies, but he cannot be controlled. He is the author and the finisher. And his plan will always exceed what we perceive to be the best way of doing things. I know this is especially true in the book of Exodus. If it was up to me to deliver the people out of Israel, I would have had a much more simpler plan. I would have just killed off Pharaoh. I would have maybe teleported the people of Israel out of Egypt, something of that nature. But God knew exactly what he was doing all along. See, after a series of plagues, the people of Israel uh, are, are able to be free from captivity. And sometimes we read that and we just move forward. But can you just take a moment just to Think of what they felt, that level of freedom, that level of potential that was there because for so long they were powerless, for so long they were stuck, and God delivered them and he answered their call. But again, God still has his own plan and way of doing things. So we see as they were exiting Egypt, something in Exodus 14, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Hararoth. Yeah, I don't know how to say that word either, all right? Don't judge me. Between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Keep in mind, the Israelites don't know God's plan. Moses knows God's plan. The Israelites are just walking according to the plan. And if you're following along with what's being said here, the people of Israel are wandering in the desert until they are stuck in front of a large 
body of water, a sea. And behind them is an opening where the Egyptian army can pursue them. And that's exactly what happens because Pharaoh changes his mind and he decides to pursue the Israelites in order to make them slaves again. And we see this in verse 10. As Pharaoh, the Israelite, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Fear can make us do the craziest things. Fear can change our perspective in the most craziest of ways. Here's the thing. The people of Israel were fearful, and rightfully so. They didn't know God's plan to save them. And in the midst of of a moment where God was going to deliver them, they perceived it as them about to be destroyed. Some of you right here, right now, watching online are in some difficult situations. You've prayed for God to do a powerful thing in your life, only that things might become worse. And you're starting to wonder, what is God doing? Does God care? Is God there? What is happening in my life? Can I encourage you with this truth today? Don't break down before the breakthrough. Some of the difficult circumstances and situations that you're in right now is maybe to you a sign that you are going under, but it is actually a sign that God is about to step in and do something incredible. When it feels like in your life that things are falling apart, things are actually falling in place for God to do a miracle, for God to make a change, for God to turn things around. And we see Moses encourage the people with this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still and know that he is God today, Valley family. Be still and know that he is in control. If you feel powerless, there is power in your prayer. And there is always power in our Savior, Jesus Christ, to save, to deliver, to make new, to restore. We do not serve a God that sits on the sidelines. We do not serve a God that can lose against our present enemies. And in this moment, and I highly encourage you to read the passage of Scripture for yourself, we see one of the most iconic moments in all of Scripture. The parting of the Red Sea where the people of Israel managed to cross over on dry land and the armies of Egypt were crushed under the waves of the sea and the people of Egypt knew 
that I am was God. God is so prolific. Not just in this situation, but he will be in yours. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. In the midst of feeling powerless, how do we continue to trust in the power of God to change our situations? A passage that I believe will help us is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. My time is up, but real quickly, I just want to give you three things that I believe can help us keep our minds renewed in the power of God and seeking him. First is this. Read God's reviews. Read God's reviews. I'm one of those people, I will not purchase anything unless I check the reviews first. It could be an item on Amazon. It could be a vacation getaway on Groupon. I am not purchasing until I can get at least three good reviews that this is a good decision for me to be making. And in the midst of all of the difficulty that we are experiencing, sometimes we can start to wonder, is God really good? Is God really going to deliver? Is God really going to make a way out of no way for me in my life and situation? Remind yourself. Read his reviews. This is what I mean by that. I'll read scripture first off. I'll read stories like this of the people of Israel that were saved out of Egypt because God heard their care, came down, and delivered them. I'll read passages like that of King David who had many enemies that made many mistakes, yet still God was with them each and every step of the way. I'll read passages like that of the New Testament where I feel like, man, I did a big sin and, and I can't seem to get anything right. And I'll read how Peter was somebody that constantly made mistakes, yet somehow he is responsible for much of the ministry that we see here today. The ripple effect of what God did through Peter is incredible. Uh, and I'll read scripture and something else that I do, and I'm going to equip everybody here today with this. It's going to be in your valley notes. I have the, something from 365promises.com, a promise every day for the year. And you can, start as, you can start today if you want, if you download it, but it is literally every day for the rest of the year. There is a promise from God that you can read, and it reminds me, it refreshes me. But I don't just read the scriptures. I'll ask my, my neighbors. I'll, I'll go to a fellow Christian, whether in church or maybe in one of my valley groups, and I'll tell them, hey, what has God done in your life recently? How have you seen God in your situations? And I've heard stories of people that were miraculously healed with cancer, people that have experienced financial breakthroughs, people that found wholeness in the midst of difficult family loss and maybe even marital situations. Sometimes if I can't find a physical person, I will literally go on YouTube and look up people's testimonies. Whether it's I am second or somebody from a church. And all of these things refreshes my mind. That God is good. That God's still working. That God is someone that not only we can trust, but that when God is in control, powerful things happen. The second thing that I do is I let my prayers go up and my phone go down. Prayers up and phone down. 
If there is anything that is sucking joy out of our lives, if there is anything that is increasing the level of anxiety, depression, comparison in our lives, it is 100% social media. It is 100% the technology that we have been engaging with at such high levels. Don't believe me. You don't have to listen to me as a pastor. You can watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. You can look up other psychology tests, and you can see that people are more depressed and sad than ever before than any other time in our history. And one of the common factors is because of social media. And how silly it is of me to think that I can pray and read my Bible and listen to a worship song for 15 to 30 minutes in the morning and then spend hours on my phone for the rest of the day and still think I'll feel the presence of God. So what I decided to do for myself, and you can do any version of this for yourself, is I started to create limits. I started setting up on my phone through the screen time function, how, uh, what apps I can be on, uh, what time of the day, and also how long I could be on those apps during the day. And I also decided to increase my prayer time by five minutes in different intervals. Now I don't just pray in the morning, but when I get in the car on the way to work, when I'm back in the car on the way home, five minutes during my lunchtime, I set a timer for five minutes and I just pray pray, reminding myself that God, you're still good. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you that I have breath in my body. God, during the day, these things have come up. During the day, these are things that I have to face. During the day, these are things that I hear is happening in our culture right now, and we could use you to solve it. And the level of peace, the level of joy, the level of newness of mind and thought that is done to me is tremendous. And the last thing that I'll say is that you need to step into worship. Can I really be honest with you here, Valley family? You have no choice. I'm on the mic. I have had times this year where due to difficult situations personally, with the pandemic, with social justice issues, with political divides, where I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what to say to God. And my faith struggled. And what helped me in the midst of difficult situations like that was stepping into worship. And this is what I mean by that phrase. You can be here at Valley Christian Church and you can watch people worship. You can go home or be in your car and listen to worship. But there's something that changes when you participate when you step into it, when you allow the worship of a song become the cry of your own heart. Sometimes I'll listen to a worship song and I'll say, God, this is a song that I'm singing, but this is the prayer that I have for you right here, right now. And I will worship until I believe again, until I can trust again, until I am reminded and renewed that my God is in control. So once again, I want to bless as a resource. Here at Valley, we'll have a small little playlist if that's something that you're interested in where you can just listen to a few songs in the morning, in the evening, whatever your taste, and pray through worship.
But with my time up, I just want you right now to just be honest. Do you feel powerless? Have you been filled with fear and anxiety because the circumstances of our nation, of our community with this pandemic have caused for you to feel like things can only get worse? Whatever your situation is, I'd love to pray for you right now. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Dear Savior, you have been so kind. You have been so consistent with no contingencies in all of our situations. And Lord, many of us feel powerless. But we know that there is power when we pray to you. So we pray that your power first give peace to the anxieties, to the frustrations that many of us are dealing with, but also that it bring change, deliverance, and salvation. Let your glory be known. And if you are in here right now, if you're watching online and you say, you know what? I've never given my life to Jesus. But I know I need him. If he is who you say he is, then I want to know him. I want to encourage you with this truth. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I just want you to say these words. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I want to trust in you. I now give you control. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name.